Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Green Dot, coming to you from EAA headquarters here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm Hal Bryan, I'm senior editor at EAA, and with me is... I'm Chris Henry, the EAA Museum Program's uh, representative. And Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. All right, it's great to be back. And uh, we want to take a second and thank everybody who's taken the time uh, not only to listen to the podcast, but give us some feedback, uh, write some reviews, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, we can't stress how important that is. Uh, this is, in, in true EAA fashion, this is an experiment. And the only way we know it's working is if we hear back from people whether you like it or not. So uh, a couple of quick thank yous. Uh, people on iTunes have uh, written us uh, very flattering reviews. Oshkosh Pilot, Fly In Too High, and Pete Bergstrom, thanks to all of you. On our blog, uh, Stuart Fraley and Franz Halaschek Wiener, which I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's, uh, he's Austrian. Uh, both of them have uh, chimed in on the blog to say nice things. Facebook, we've got uh, Jason uh, Steckschulte, Dimitri Syapin, Kevin uh, Dahlhausen, Victor Hugo Rivera, and John Houston. All of those guys uh, chimed in on Facebook to say, uh, say nice things and make our day. And then uh, also a big thanks to Shane Glassy, who sent some email to feedback at EA.org, like any of you can. Uh, says some uh, very nice things to us there, too. So, uh, so far, nothing but positive feedback, which tells us we're hopefully on the right track. Um, and uh, Or it could just be that I'm ignoring all the negative, which is uh, really how I live my life. But anyway, uh, guys, we have a uh, we got a special guest here with us uh, today. This week is Mr. John Manette, um, best known these days as uh, as the founder and uh, and the brains and dare I say the good looks behind Sonic's aircraft. Uh, but John has had a pretty remarkable career, uh, long time in aviation, especially for someone so young. <laughs> He's smiling. And uh, <clears throat> we're, uh, we're excited to have him here and, and uh, help explore a little bit of his background, tell you a little bit more about John, who he is, and, uh, and about Sonic's aircraft. So, John, first of all, welcome, and thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's always fun to get together with the EA guys and talk a little bit about airplanes. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start at the beginning, uh, John. Um, your beginning, anyway. Uh, not the whole earth cooled and all of that. Uh, <laughs> well, it's almost. <laughs> it's almost. Okay, fair enough. I, did, I didn't want to say it. Um, what was your first exposure to aviation? How did you get involved in aviation? Was it models? Was it... Yeah, well, yeah, actually, when I was a little kid, and I'm probably seven, eight years old, uh, my sister had a boyfriend that built models and uh, got me interested in building models. So okay. I always attributed to that you know, kind of getting started in airplanes. And one of the funny little anecdotes about that is that, that I, I would put together a solid model of a, of a Bonanza because this guy built really nice. They, they were all solid like pine. Oh, right. And, uh, of course, I didn't sand anything, didn't shape anything, just stuck the parts together. And, of course, <laughs> my sister took it apart on me and made me do it the right way. So uh, that, that really got me started. That was a powerful lesson. Some of those kits back then were amazing. As you were just, you got the plans and then you open up and the kit was just a solid block of wood. Right. And it's like step one, carve this wood until it looks like the airplane. Yeah. And then take, you're done. Take everything away and it doesn't look <laughs> exactly. like an airplane. I just didn't take it away. <laughs> you just didn't take it away. You had surplus. Yes. Oh, that's excellent. Um, 
Sorry, Tom, were you starting to say something? Oh, I no. I thought I heard um, a noise. I guess what, one thing I'd say about models is that um, I built copious amounts as a kid, but I never had the patience for, like, any of the detail work or the uh, or the painting or anything. I just wanted to build toys for myself, uh, and then I'd play with them, and uh, I, I think they're, I, I think there's still the smashed remnants of them in a box in my parents' basement still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and that's really, you know, how, how it, it really started, and, and uh, later I've got... Interested in, of course, in in, uh, in building more sophisticated models, and and uh, we had a I had a couple of mentors that were uh, airline pilots that we flew control line models at a field. Oh, great. One of my my good buddies in in high school also did, and he ended up being a commander in the Navy. Uh, air, and uh, uh, it, it it just got us started, and in, in the early radio control, I first flew my first radio control model in 1959. Wow. And I built the transmitter myself and a little escapement and many of you guys that know a little bit about radio control that, you know, we get, we had the early drones and it was really, a, really a fun time. Were those the push button controls or did uh, you have joysticks? Uh, well, actually I had just a simple button. Oh, just a single uh, button. And uh, <laughs> in those early days, you, you had an escapement system, which was rubber bands that ran a, a clockwork mechanism with, oh. a, with a little solenoid. So you pushed once for right, and then you'd go beep, beep, for and hold it for left. And then if you had something like an elevator, you would have three beeps for up and four beeps wow. for down. So oh, it was wow. an early high school uh, science project that I had to build an airplane that had all the controls, including uh, high and low motor control and everything, all done with one button. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's you lost count. It was, just, it was tragic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so you knew it had yeah. gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you talk about doing that during school, a high school science yeah. project. What, uh, what was your education after that? Did you go into aeronautical engineering, or what, uh, what direction did you take? Well, obviously, I had a lack of education, and uh, I went to junior college, and uh, uh, and then uh, to Northern Illinois University, uh, and I, I looked at business education, etc. But uh, that was pretty boring. And my sister had become an art teacher, and uh, I just normally uh, naturally gravitated towards art. So actually, my degree is a BS in art in art education. So, and became a high school art teacher. So were you uh, were you a cool teacher? Yes. <laughs> it's remarkable. He says that with There's such a, a straight face yeah. that I, I hear former students out there rolling their eyes. Yeah. Well, one of my former students is around here, Bob Mackey, and he can uh, talk ah. about some of the shenanigans that happened in my classroom. <laughs> the, the yearbook has a picture of me, by the way, sitting on the toilet picking my nose, <laughs> uh, which was in the middle of the art room. So, uh, and, and that is why people listen to this. Yes. <laughs> That's not a story More you More information than everywhere. you needed, but <laughs> it's certainly right. it's the truth. Wow. So, uh, so here you are. You're a high school art teacher, mm -hmm. sometimes in a classroom, sometimes in some other room, apparently. <laughs> and uh, how do you get from there to uh, Well, to I started the, before the I graduated designing. high school. Actually, as I graduated high school, uh, my parents went on vacation. I went out to the airport and asked for an airplane ride. And I was making money because I was working construction during yeah. the summer, and uh, that's when I started my flying lessons. And you know, became a line boy, and uh, uh, you know, fueled a lot of airplanes. So one time, Paul Pobriese flew in uh, with the first uh, EA biplane when he was oh, flying cool. time out of it, and I got to uh, meet him and uh, fuel that airplane. Uh, and actually, my membership to uh, the EAA was given to me by Lucino. Oh, uh, I met him at a wedding and uh, told him I was, you know, building airplanes and interested in airplanes. And 
he actually a couple of weeks later I got a membership in the mail. It was very cool. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because I had looked uh, uh, looked in our uh, top secret database, you know, in the in the Monet file we yeah. call it, <laughs> and uh, I saw you joined in 1965. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's about right. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, and I you know I'd written down. I'm just curious, you know, why did you join? But it's. But I was forced. Right. You were forced. You were yeah. coerced. <laughs> yeah. And we keep sending you renewals. Uh, you're a lifetime member now, as I understand it. Yeah, so. I finally spent the bucks. Yeah. You know. well, thank you. I don't know that. if I'm going to give my money's worth, but. <laughs> well, we did. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Tom, you want to maybe take us into engines? Uh, yeah. Things around a little bit. Well, absolutely. Well, so, John, you're uh, you're known um, uh, quite a bit for the I won't say um, VW conversion, more VW derived engines that you've uh, that you've you've developed over the years and, and continue to sell. Can you take us through a little bit of where that started and uh, and where where it is and where it's going? Well, yeah. Um, it it really started with um, you know I can go back a little bit uh, because actually in in 1965 um, I bought. I bought a, a an Aranka Defender, a 1939 Aranka Defender, and it was I bought it on the south side of Chicago in a gas station oh, for four hundred dollars. And incidentally, the I sold my radio control equipment, which which was extremely expensive at the time. Uh, and I for this four hundred dollars, I had enough money left to buy all the supplies to rebuild my first airplane. Wow! Uh, that that first radio I sold for over five hundred bucks, and uh, you know it's just and it was in a wreck. So uh, that that got me started. So uh, w once I rebuilt that airplane and, and started another one, a J4, uh, I was introduced to home building. I wanted to build a home built airplane. And, and uh, you know, it goes a little bit beyond, but uh, actually started uh, building a, a midget Mustang. Mm -hmm. And uh, way out of real, Gar Williams was the president of, uh, of the chapter down in Carpentersville and Elgin uh, area, and uh, we got really interested in home building, and then, of course, uh, found an article uh, in Popular Mechanics about uh, Genie's Teeny, oh, which right. was powered by a VW engine, and uh, I gave up the the midget Mustang project, which I was going to do what every stupid home builder does is <laughs> modify the plans because I was going to put a jump seat in the, in the midget Mustang so that it would be a two place and put a bigger engine on it like right. a, a GPU unit and, I, and it, it, at my salary at the time I couldn't afford that so along came to Genie's Teeny I've sent out the $10 or $15 for the plans uh, they came back they were worth oh, two bucks and uh, you know, so we started on a airplane, and uh, I, I was on summer vacation, and, and built most of the airframe in a very, very short time. And it needed a VW conversion, and I had studied what Huggins had done early with uh, his conversions, and uh, he was really a pioneer in VW-based engines uh, here in the United States. And I bought one of his prop hubs, and I did a couple other things, and built my first engine. And I said, hey, "It's got to be a better way." And then in 19, that was 19, 1970, I flew that airplane here, or brought it to Oshkosh. And uh, that led to and not only having met Steve Whitman earlier, but uh, when the Formula V class of racing was put out, the 1600cc VW-based engine, uh, I thought there was a better way to build engines, and we designed Sonnery 1 and got into the engine conversion business. And that was basically all the parts that 
had to be put on the engine to make it an aircraft uh, eligible power plant. So, so the engine work was happening right in parallel with designing design. the sonar. Oh yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So, and it was kind of an interesting time because you know, uh, in 1970, the f the fastest uh, VW powered airplane that we knew of was Bob Ladd from uh, Milwaukee had this little airplane called Chihuahua and it uh, was a Taylor monoplane with a with a pressure cowl, retractable gear, oh, wow. had a sliding bubble canopy, really cool little airplane, flew with it alongside of it many times uh, and it, it would do 128 miles an hour. The next year in 1971 when Steve showed up with his finished V-Wit and I had the Sonnery one, uh, we were going 170 miles an hour. So it was a quantum leap in the performance of VW-based airplanes and we could make them viable. That's, a, that's so just amazing. It started with um, looking at at the elements of the air engine, how it you know should have a motor mount like a like a standard airplane engine. A uh, little difference in carburetors. We were the first ones to fly with what was called the lake injector and eventually the Paza injector and it's really the probably the grandfathers of what we have now is a narrow injector carb, uh, simple throttle body carburetor and uh, how to do you know magneto drives etc and uh, through another friend uh, of mine that uh, we got started you know there was a lot happening in what we were developing for airplanes uh, not only engines but in Sonnery we had a it's the first Sonnery had a spring gear made out of a truck spring and of course, Steve Whitman was very famous for his spring steel gear and his, his uh, tapered rod gear, you know. And um, a friend of mine, uh, a guy that called me up and said, hey, I'm developing a landing gear for my Cassett racer, and it's aluminum. So uh, he said, you know, it would be perfect for the sonnery. So we got together, and we became very fast friends. His father-in-law was a pattern maker. And we had a foundry in La Crosse where we could get parts cast for <laughs> engines, but we were the first ones to fly with an aluminum landing gear on an airplane. No kidding. So, uh, and that oh, we eventually developed uh, to the point that, you know, even Steve's last airplane had an aluminum gear that we built. Wow. So that was kind of an interesting turnaround. That's amazing. I'd never, I'd never heard that. <laughs> yeah. It's so just one of those things. Right around that time, you know, you're, you're, you're designing this on array. Was that... Always intended to be part of a business, this Monet experimental aircraft, or was it just John wanted a cool airplane? Yeah, John wanted a cool airplane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and all, no better reason to start a business. But. Well, yeah. I, I, well, I loved. You know, we'd, we we believe it or not. You know, I can remember my cousin and I sitting when, when we were kids on a, on, a, on a porch in in Chicago and and uh, looking at a magazine that had Steve Whitman's racer and it was a uh, Air Trails or something. Uh, with the Bonzo on the cover, right. oh, so cool, you know. And uh, <laughs> and then meeting him later uh, in at Rockford, and hearing him talk about the formation of uh, Formula V, that you know that was something of interest. And, and of course, immediately became you know it was obvious that the first airplane I home built I built was uh, well we call it the Mini Message. I mean that's what it was called and. S-H-I-D-T, it wasn't, you know, it was pretty funny, though. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was funny at the fly-in because a, one particular little old lady came up and she's reading the, the script on the side of the airplane because it's, oh! <laughs> After it came out of her mouth. So, uh, <laughs> but that, you know, that the, the, 
getting into the into the Sonnery and and, uh, and meeting Steve and of course he was a big influence of us coming up here to Oshkosh. Uh, uh, really very very helpful in in those in that regard. Uh, but that was all, you know, because of the competition. Right. Yeah. Well, it seems like as far as as far as sport planes go, um, you know, of that era, the, the Sonorai is a very uh, kind of purely designed aircraft because, I mean, it really did evolve from a mid-wing pylon racer. Right. It, it, you know, yeah, it did. And, and the funny thing about it is that it was... Um, uh, when I initially went home, that was after after the 1970 fly, and I, I literally designed the airplane on the kitchen table. And there was a graphic here in the museum that had the drawings of uh, that I had, and you can ac actually see that it had a, a low wing because I had uh, my love for the Spitfire. Mm -hmm. oh. The tail represented the yeah. spit, and it had the slow wing. And and then we we had heard through the grapevine through some other friends that were up in Oshkosh here that Steve's airplane was really fast. <laughs> and we go, ah, oh, you know, I got to do everything I can to make this thing fast. So we moved the wing up to the mid wing, and uh, eventually, it's a, as, a, as things all things turn out, the Sonnery two eventually became not only a mid wing but a low wing airplane. And uh, but that that really. Uh, uh, was a, a fun time because I, again we were we we're working on so many things at once uh, uh, the the engine conversions and 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 evolving the design of the airplane and yeah and turn into a business because people wanted plans and uh, they they were actually better plans than the teeny so uh, so that's good they, they were worth. <laughs> 25 bucks. <laughs> and you sold them for? 75. Well, then. <laughs> Those are good you margins. Know, you know, I may be dumb. I'm not stupid. <laughs> and we're, we're discussing a lot of very specific uh, aircraft types. So yeah. for some of our uh, listeners who might not be familiar with what these uh, these aircraft might look like, we can um, maybe get some pictures up on the uh, on the, on the website for uh, Sure, for we'll, we can put some pictures into the, the blog post that hosts the, yeah. uh, hosts the podcast. Uh, yeah, there's a well, few of them so. sitting around here, too. So Yeah, there are. I mean, Chris, that's, uh, that's a great chance for you to talk about what's here and well and, that was one elsewhere. of the questions I wanted to ask was we have a Sonorai in the collection mm -hmm. we have a green one mm -hmm. and I always wanted to know the inspiration I'd heard a story about the inspiration for the color on that could you tell us about that well it, actually it, it, there isn't any much of a story with it, but uh, the Sonorai was was uh, the name actually came up uh, with my radio control models I had in college and uh, they had like a sunburst orange and yellow paint job and, and I was just babbling one night uh, you know in my room as I normally did and, and, and names of Sun Ray Sonic Ray and Sonnery came out of my mouth and I said well I, nobody knows that name so uh, you know because it doesn't exist uh, so I've invented the word and and, uh, it, and also uh, because of the racing era the Dodge had all these really cool colors back then with the Dodge Chargers and, and all those. And I've picked that color, Sassy Grass Green. And it, and it's, it, it is kind of cool because it's not, you know, it's, seeing it in a museum, it's not lit up. But it, it, when, it, when it gets out in the sun, it's just like somebody turned a switch on. It becomes real neon. Uh, and it was just different to have a green airplane. Because everybody had a red and white pits. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, airplanes were, were red, you know. That's funny how that goes around Sorry, too. I'm a Dodge guy, so yeah, I had to. Yeah, ask, so, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, and, and starting out, you know, as someone who started out building models, and just with the love of aviation and, and your your love as it grew, mm -hmm. how does it feel to now have one of your aircraft in the National Air and Space Museum? Uh, that's quite an honor, and uh, it's funny how those airplanes move around and. and uh, 
you know it, that the, you're talking about the Moni that sits sits above the Enola Gay of all things. You know, so, and it's the smallest airplane in their collection, or at least in that in that museum. And uh, it, it's just interesting. Uh, uh, a lot of airplanes. Uh, my son Jeremy, when he went out to Boeing. Uh, that went into the credit union and was a Monterey hanging in the credit union, you know? Maybe they, you know, somebody forfeited the loan or something. Anyways, it got there. And it shows up in a lot, of, a lot of little museums around these airplanes. So uh, it's, uh, it's always nice to see. Uh, that's got to be a powerful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, your work is out there. So uh, working through Monet uh, Experimental Aircraft, I forgot the name right, right? Yeah. So Sonaray, uh, then the, the Monterey. The Moni and, uh, and, and Monterey, Moni, Monex. Um, and the Monex. Mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> where'd that name come from? Well, Is that's that just Monet Experimental Short. Uh, and in mm -hmm. uh, Monterey, of course, is just Sonnery with an M right. instead of an S. And in Moni, uh, we, when we, were, we knew it was going to be a small airplane. And so around the dinner table, the kids were real little. They say, hey, you know, it's a small airplane. We've got to come up with a name for it. So they shot out a couple of names. So the short name is Moni. Oh, and uh, that's, that's perfect. That's stuck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, it's like all the other ones. Uh, Sonics is a combination of uh, Sonics experimentals. You know, it's the uh, of it's like the Monics, but it's also like a Sonaray. It's kind of, right. so geometry is the same as a Sonaray. So those names just fall out. So, and my notes uh, it says that you uh, got out of or sold Monet experimental aircraft. Mm -hmm. Sold those airplanes in about 1986. 1985, 86. Yeah, we we. Uh, we got in, involved with uh, a company from England that uh, was developing some things. They actually, uh, you know, I could. This is a three-hour story, but uh, long and short of it is, we we sold uh, Monet Experimental Aircraft to then a subsidy of Aviation Composites in England, and it became Inav. Okay. It had a short life, and uh, because of the way that the management was and. They were relying heavily on engines being developed, like the Lotus engine in particular. So I made so many trips over to to uh, England and to uh, uh, Italy and Germany, uh, you know, dealing with all the engines that we were using besides uh, the, the VW. Sure. So there were a lot of interesting developments all along I mean, with with engines. So absolutely, uh, we ha we have had a lot of experience in that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so you mentioned the Spitfire earlier. You're making trips over to England. Did you ever get up in a Spit? No, I didn't. Oh. I did get up in a '51. Wow. One of the most disappointing rides I've ever had in an airplane. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, and and I, I think everybody, like we just recently lost Bill Brennan and, and, um, and Steve Whitman, and they've all flown those airplanes, but right. they by far enjoy flying the little racers much more. You know, it's just, Mustang just goes fast, it goes fast, but when you're in the air, you know, you can't tell how fast you're going. Right, unless and, you're down Yeah, too unless low. you're on the deck, but, <laughs> but when we're racing, we're, you know, 15, 20 feet off the ground, yeah. you really feel like you're hauling. Yeah. So they, you know, they and they're much more responsive. So oh, absolutely. So <clears throat> Sonic's aircraft is based right here on the field in Oshkosh, and uh, I, was that always been the case when you when you started Sonic's? Were you already in Oshkosh? Yeah, we were in Oshkosh. Yeah, okay. you know, we had we had the missing years, and uh, we the the point was that that uh, uh, I was out of aviation for a little while, and and I finally. Uh, Worked myself into a position uh, at the at where I was working uh, 
for a local uh, laser company. And um, when my kids graduated from, from high school, I told Betty, I said, when they graduate, I'm out the door. And I, <laughs> that day I resigned and went on my own. I was uh, picked up a, uh, an L, uh, L3 and uh, was rebuilding it and uh, eventually bought, bought a Cub that was we found in uh, down in Key West and rebuilt that. It was an award winner here at, at Oshkosh, and, and I built 14 Cubs. Wow. So uh, in that missing year's time, and, and it was part of that which got us back into home builds in that uh, we were approached uh, because we were selling uh, some of these airplanes to Europe, uh, namely two vag- a couple of Vagabonds, which were 1,100-pound gross airplanes they installed at 40 miles an hour. So they met the European microlight category in, in, in uh, Italy. And so they were sold over there because you can fly that airplane without a license. You could fly it to an altitude of 500 feet during the week and 1,000 feet on Sunday, which was a real bonus. Really? I didn't realize there were day restrictions oh, on oh, the microlight oh, rules over Oh, there. yeah, yeah, crazy. <laughs> Wow. But you know, can you imagine? You know, what would we give to be able to fly at 500 yeah. feet all the time? Yeah. No kidding. We're getting ramp checked. You yeah, know what yeah, day it is? Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what do you think? This is Sunday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and and uh, the individual knew that I built the sonneries, and and uh, they, so we started sending sonneries over to uh, that. We we've got them from all over the country and put them in containers here. And shipped them over to, but they really didn't. They stalled about 44 miles an hour. They really didn't make the 40 mile an hour stall speed. They didn't have flaps or anything. And uh, you know, if you if you flew them right, you could still fly them pretty slow. But uh, and then they, we were asked to design an airplane specifically for that. And uh, Pete Buck, who had worked with me uh, all through the years when we developed the Monterey Moni, he was a kid. He came to work for me, and and in uh, uh, about the time we moved to Oshkosh in '81. Uh, he got a job at uh, at Lockheed, and he was a floor manager at the Skunk Works oh, during wow. the Have Blue and the 117 project. Oh wow! Really? I'm, I'm very proud of him. He's this uh, extraordinary individual. Went to night school, That's... got his master's degree, and he's now a fellow at Lockheed in the Skunk Works. So no kidding. That means upper one two percent of all the engineers at Lockheed Martin. That's absolutely amazing. So he and I got together and. And uh, we started with a clean sheet of paper. We, I was working on a side-by-side sonnery. You know, it, it just, just some difficulty. And we, we had all the previous work that we did with the Moni and the Monix. The, the Monix is really the grandfather of the Sonics designs uh, as far as construction techniques. And uh, we, we came up with this, the sonnery to fulfill it commitment or a contract and we knew that that was going to be a good sport plane market here and so Sonics Aircraft came about. About what year was that you started with? 98. Okay. 97. Wow. Yeah. That's really something. So the uh, let me jump back just a little bit. The, uh, the Moni was a motor glider, mm-hmm. correct? What uh, did you have any uh, gliding in your background? Was that something you had done before? Or what made no, you decide? actually, before that, well, I did because I built the Monterey sailplane. Uh, oh. uh, and, you know, how these things happen is like, just like we talked about. You know, I, I built the racer because I wanted a racer. Right. And I've been following gliders forever. And um, 
I said, you know, I really would like to have a glider, but I can't afford a fiberglass glider. Well, back in the 70s, um, we were talking about airplanes that were still almost $100,000, you know. And, uh, you know, we didn't do it. So, uh, you know, I had, Pete was working with me, like I said, as a, he got his mechanics license working uh, at, at Mona Experimental in Elgin, Illinois. And I, so I designed this small glider. And uh, we used bonded wing, bonded off one piece aluminum skin, and had 90 degree flaps. Uh, it had a steel cage uh, that was inside of a fiberglass pod. Uh, full flying V tail. It's also all, all bonded, so the wing looked like it was fiberglass. Hmm. Uh, there was no rivets at all, and um, that was a very successful airplane. It, but it was really an ultralight. It, it weighed less than 200 pounds. Really? Uh, it was a 6G airplane, and uh, uh, it was uh, 11 meter span. So we sold about 400 of those airplane kits, more more of those than 126 sailplanes were ever built. Really? Wow. So that that that's uh, was a significant thing. But that, the gliders really got us going. And at the time, what 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 was important about it is that it had an outboard motor. Uh, literally, uh, you know, you plug in a look like an outboard. It was, you know, a 250cc engine. When we first started, we had a, a surplus uh, snowmobile engine, 250cc's, a little ELO engine that we 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 cut everything off the engine we could to make it light, and actually ran the ignition with the radio battery uh, <laughs> wow. and to launch. Uh, Pete has about I don't know. I think was it. 40 or 50 stitches in his hand, propping it for me, because oh, uh, you know, it was hand propped to start it, right. the development. And we eventually uh, went to uh, uh, Japan to get a new engine uh, built called the Zenoa engine, a 250cc engine. And it, um, it was our standard engine. And then we used Koenig engines and all kinds of things like that. So uh, developing that engine. If, when you asked about the money, the long way around was that <clears throat> this company, uh, Yami or um, Comet Flying Motors, uh, approached us to test a four-cylinder, four-cycle engine. That looks, it was a, a really beautiful engine, and I can talk about that history sometime. But uh, it, we knew that they built two-cycle engines. I said, hey, can you build an engine for our glider? And uh, they oh, well, we'll think about it. And uh, the, the head designer, of course, was uh, uh, Cesare Basilio, who was the foremost two-cycle engine designer in the world. Uh, and he was an aviation buff. So he built an engine for us. But the owner of the company, uh, Bruno Grana, his name, was a promoter. He said, John, we'll do this engine, but we want you to put it on a different airframe. Uh, and, uh, you know, because everybody knows the Monterey, and we'd like to have it as something new. So in a period of nine months, they built a new engine. We built the Moni prototype. We brought it here to Oshkosh uh, in, in uh, whenever it was, 80, my, I, I lost track of the dates. I know it was 70-something. Wow. And, and uh, we had a brand-new airplane with a brand-new engine. Serial number one and one. Serially in nine months. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a just... remarkable time. And it was, you know, it was just a, a post engine with an alternator, electric start, everything in it. It was twenty-five horsepower. 
we hid the, the, the tuned pipe in the fuselage. And uh, that's what made the airplane really a, a very fun airplane to fly. It's just hilarious to fly that airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I love describing an airplane as hilarious. Well, and I, I've done that myself a couple of times. Out here but, on the river, I used to, yeah. you know, I used to dive in on boats with my when my prop stopped <laughs> and go by them, and I, we had a smoke system. So oh, then I'd turn on the engine with a smoke system, and then it'd peel off. And, it was kind of fun. <laughs> I, I'm sure the statute of limitations has run out yeah. long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're fine there. Yeah. yeah. So, John, uh, you have, um, you know, at Sonics, you have quite the lineup now, um, you know, between, and I have to go off my notes here because there's so many of them, the uh, uh, the Sonics, the uh, the two-seat touring aircraft. Well, thank the, you for the, reminding me. <laughs> uh, the, the YX, which is basically a Sonics with a, with a Y tail on it. Right. Um, the Xenos, a motor glider. Um, the 1X, a, a single-seat folding wing aircraft. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, the Subsonics, the, uh, the jet. Um, and then you're also doing some UAV work, as I understand, right? Correct, yes. Um, and uh, you you, mo you recently rolled out your B models, which mm -hmm. are um, essentially um, improvements to the the Sonics and YX lines. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the you know the specs of your latest aircraft? Um, a little bit about uh, cost and economy, because I know Sonics really prides themselves on on economical aircraft. Yeah, our whole philosophy, or my philosophy, you know, throughout the time that I've been building airplanes is that I, I thought that an airplane shouldn't cost more than the average automobile. Well, now the average automobile is pretty damn expensive, <laughs> you know, compared to the days when you could be, uh, buy one for $1,500, $2,000, which our kits were at the time. But um, what we've done with the, the B models is that uh, we, we looked at the fuselage and, and, and we've been listening to our builders and, and the guys that have built our airplanes and, you know, we're we're, we're getting older and bigger, and, and uh, uh, so we changed the fuselage configuration so, so that the laundrons are now parallel to each other instead of tapering towards the front of the airplane. We, when we originally built the first uh, uh, Sonics, it was designed uh, not only for the VW, which had cheeks on it, but it had uh, the, the real narrow uh, uh, Jabru engines. So we, we kind of focused everything towards the nose, which which shortened up the shoulder room really quickly. Um, and you, know, you can see on our website there's some, some depictions of, of what those the differences in the fuselage are. Also, just refinements like electric flaps and, and uh, uh, things that, that, that people wanted, uh, the canopy frames and all that stuff are all machined now. They're, so that you don't have to bend a tube to that complex shape. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, and uh, that, with the cowlings and everything done with uh, with uh, with CAD and uh, uh, SolidWorks, now we have, we have airplanes that are easier to build than even the first ones. So that that that's really the big difference. And then the full line of what, what we have, our, our other company it isn't really a company. It's it's called Aero Conversions, and that's where we do our engines now. Uh, they have developed and, and we've done all these accessories like hydraulic brakes and trim systems and throttle quadrants and carburetors and stuff like that stuff. Uh, so that's all integrated into into the B models. And uh, we just introduced the, the, the B model, Xenos now, which is it was a pretty neat, pretty neat airplane, I think. And the Xenos is the motor glider, the long That's one. correct. It's right a big way. airplane. 42-foot <clears throat> span? or 44-foot. And that's actually the basis for the Taros, which is the airplane that we delivered. And it will have its public debut down in Texas here in a couple, th three weeks uh, at the big UAV convention. 
uh, and that's a 44-foot long <laughs> wingspan drone. <laughs> and uh, it's it's going to be it's going to get some attention. I think it's a pretty interesting airplane. Is it primarily uh, like a DoD market, or is that? Can It'll we, have several things. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it has a, a capability to fly 17 hours, uh, and it has. It's currently powered by an Aero V turbo with special je, uh, alternators on it, and uh, it's it's going to be used. For, it's got camera mounts that sure. the cameras that can see out 150 miles or so. So. And is there one orbiting our studio right now? There could be. Okay. I, want to uh, I, would, I, would, uh, I would hope next year that would be true. <laughs> So, John, um, you know, with the uh, with the B model, the, the the current lineup that you have right now, um, what would an air, what would a um, a builder um, ultimately spend all up for a for a flying aircraft? I just happen to have a price list right here, <laughs> you know, and it 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 depends. You can you can build a a, a complete airframe kit for a Sonics B for about twenty three thousand uh, dollars. You know, add engines and all that stuff. But we have there are so many variations on it. It's really hard to get because uh, we have our quick build kits, which mm -hmm. were the fuselage is basically done, the canopies fitted, the wings are done. You have to build the control surface, tail surfaces, and assemble the rest of the stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's really a, a, an option, and that's you know the jet is kind of that way too. Mm -hmm. I do want to talk just a little bit about the jet in maybe one second. Uh, I want to talk about uh, it all the time. <laughs> I imagine that you do. That's got to be fun. But, but thinking more about uh, about the entry level uh, entry level airplanes. Um, so we talked about cost. It's very inexpensive, and you've got quick build kits. Um, how long, on average, uh, does it take? You know, realistically, maybe a novice builder. Probably eighteen twenty years. <laughs> uh, it, you know, I, I I always love that question because guys guys will you know they'll say I've been working on my airplane for twenty for now ten years right no you haven't <laughs> no. you have it's been sitting there it's been sitting there you know. for that long <laughs> I mean you're like Charlie Becker <laughs> <laughs> that's so, CAA staffer Charlie yeah. Becker uh, for those who might not know he's, he's upstairs right now and his ears are burning yeah. we're gonna get our first bad mail now. Yes, <laughs> Uh, he's a good friend, and, and uh, you know I kid him about building stuff, and he's actually built, a, you know, been involved in building a, a, a Sonics. But right. uh, you know, depending on the, the, the quick build kits and fashions, and in the, the individual, you know, it could be five hundred hours, a thousand hours. It's, it's, it, it just depends on on the the individual's drive and what, you know what position he's in in life. And, and and unfortunately, most of most of our builders are now in the position of life like me. They're they're in their 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 late sixties or seven or early seventies or or maybe even beyond. And they they finally figured out that they're running out of time. So they're <laughs> they, you know that's an extra motivation to get the thing done. Uh, but we do our best to 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 make it so that it can be built. Uh, as as fast as possible. Anybody stand out in your mind? Not not by name necessarily, but uh, uh, you've heard about a project that went together so fast. You were you were surprised. Yeah, we've had them we've had them built in like three month time. Three yeah, months. Yeah, and actually a, a guy down, I just saw him at Sun and Fun. His name is Tony Lewis. He's he's got uh, uh, now. Uh, I don't know, a couple thousand hours on his, Sonic, his Sonics, and uh, he was one of the early guys that built from scratch. 
and he built wow. it in three months. So, this, uh, so the, the kid That's has incredible. been sophisticated. We understand that when we started in '98, you know, we we didn't, you know, laser cutting and 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 CNC is still infantile. You know, right. it's a it, and. Uh, that's the big difference over the airplanes we built in the 70s and 80s is that, you know, those were all scratch-built airplanes, basically. I mean, you know, they, we had formed parts, uh, but, you know, the match-hold stuff and, and that kind of, those, those kinds of uh, niceties to have on an airplane kit to put it together weren't available. Now they are. And that's added more to the cost. So when, you know, it, it, it's a, a trade-off between how much time you want to spend on the airplane and and uh, and uh, how much money you have. Sure. So uh, we mentioned the jet, and uh, I know it, it came up earlier. We were talking about yeah. it, the subsonics. People come to uh, come to AirVenture. They see Bob Carlton doing an air show routine in this great little yellow jet. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that that airplane exists because you wanted a jet. Yes. <laughs> you know, I wanted a jet ever since I saw the BD-5 jet. And uh, back then, and that was 1974, uh, you know, that, the, the engine alone was $150,000 at that time money. Then when we were selling, uh, we, you think about it, a, a, a Monterey kit that had everything in the kit, uh, including the, form, uh, the, the, the uh, fiberglass pod, the canopy, uh, all the glue, rivets, hardware, everything. For twenty five hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! So, uh, so one hundred fifty grand for an engine. Yeah, it might as well have been a trillion dollars. And you know, and it it, it, it was it was fun because uh, you know getting to know uh, uh, Bert Rattan and, and uh, with and and working with him a little bit on on setting the first world record he set with uh, the engine out of my sonnery. Um That was that was pretty cool. And uh, now we look at at uh, at, at these kits and. Uh, they're they're uh, pretty pretty complete if you want them to be that way. Right. But, but, but the, uh, going back to the sure. jet, that's that. It it took me sixty eight years to be a jet pilot, and the only way I could do it is build a jet. <laughs> it's just designed and build it yourself. So we built the down and dirty first one, which was you know to, uh, we could write a book about the experiences doing that <laughs> alone. Uh, pretty exciting time. So then you uh, you have the prototype, then you have the sort of JSX production two. model. Yeah, JSX2. And this is something anybody can buy and build. Yep. And uh, we I know there's at least some customer-built models out there flying. Yes, about there how are. Many? Yeah, uh, there's, you know. there's uh, currently three flying. Okay. Uh, there we have over uh, about 20 pilots qualified to fly the airplane. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a niche airplane. All of my airplanes are niche airplanes. Uh, I, we always built like the like the gliders, so like the mo the, the the motor gliders. So you know, it's not in the mainstream of of home built airplanes like uh, the Vans are and, and some of the Zenairs and all that stuff. They're 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 really nice airplanes, but they're not niche airplanes. And uh, the jet certainly fits in that. And we built the airplane called the Monix, which the museum ought to have on display <laughs> uh, because it's 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 uh, the only airplane in the collection that has still holds a world record and uh, it it uh, established those records in 1982 is the grandfather of the sonics and uh, we learned a lot from it uh, uh, i lost most of my hair flying that <laughs> yeah but uh, that that airplane uh, is, is significant as far as we're concerned and the same techniques are used in the jet and you know today how big is sonics uh, you know how big is your facility and employees we have a campus of uh, 
three buildings, and um, our staff will change. It's a pretty small business, actually. Uh, our staff will, will, will average between 10 to 20 employees. And, um, you know, we, we are pretty efficient. Uh, and most of, the, most of the stuff that we do is in, in quick builds now and uh, in R&D. Interesting. If it weren't for R&D, we'd be making money. <laughs> well, that's the spirit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, and you're going to be our featured uh, monthly museum speaker here on the 20th of this month. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, is that is that a cool experience for you to come to the museum and talk to, to the yeah, crowd here? I love coming to the museum. I, uh, I like, well... You know, it's, it's funny. I'm, I like to hear myself talk. No, that's not, <laughs> not, not it. But well, I mean, that makes five I, of I like, us. It's <laughs> like I like to talk. I, you know, I like I, I enjoy talking to to crowds, uh, and uh, you know, I, I always have fun. And, and the museum's awesome. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an inspirational place. Uh, you know, I uh, I have a lot of lot of lot of smiles here and a lot of tears here. Absolutely. Well, and uh, I've heard you speak uh, a couple of times, John. I think I've even had the pleasure of introducing you uh, once or twice. Uh, you're, all kidding aside, you're an excellent speaker, and it's always a joy to uh, to hear the stories that you have to share. So uh, anybody uh, that's out there that's listening in time, hopefully can come out to that on uh, Thursday, April 20th. What time, Chris? Uh, 7 o'clock. At 7 yeah. o'clock. Yeah, we'll that's be doing excellent. a PowerPoint kind of thing of, of uh, some of the things that we've talked about today and uh, the evolution of the airplanes and Maybe people will find that interesting. I have no doubt that they will. So as, uh, as we start to uh, wrap it up, uh, anything on the drawing board at, at Sonex, um, say two-place jet, say two-place <laughs> jet, um, that, uh, that you can talk to us about or uh, anything coming soon? Um, no. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, John. I'd have to uh, shoot you. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. We have, we have uh, of course, our version of the Skunk Works is uh, right. the Hornet's Nest, and uh, it, we are uh, we're work actively working on some things. Actually, I'm as as far as I'm going, I'm, I'm admittingly tired of airplanes that have propellers on the front. <laughs> uh, and echoes, you know, so, so gliders and jets are where it's at, and and we're we're concentrating heavily on moving into a new new uh, enterprise called Sonics Aerospace, which is uh, to for primarily uh, the uh, UAV market and uh, the jets. Wow, well, that's going to be exciting to watch. Well, it may be, it may be <laughs> a, another fizzle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we yeah. have more confidence in you than you do, so I can promise you, we think it'll be exciting to watch. Well, we're we're sort of like that um, that that supposed mansion in My Fair Lady with like ups and downs. You know? <laughs> ups and downs. <laughs> Sounded pretty interesting, but the reality is it's ups and downs. <laughs> well, that is life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, all right, John. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, to join us today. Uh, and speaking of thanks, I got to give a big thanks uh, to uh, producer Sarah, who's uh, here in spirit today, home with a cold, but otherwise she'd be hopping around the room, waving her arms, <laughs> sort of incomprehensibly. But somehow we'd interpret that. Uh, and uh, and big thanks to uh, Rob Molash, who is the one who does all of our editing for us, gets everything all set up. Up. And uh, thanks to uh, once again to John, our guest, and uh, and especially thanks to everybody out there listening. And with that, uh, we look forward to getting together again the next time you're cleared to land on the green dot. Mm -hmm.